Chapter Twenty Five of Against Odds by Lawrence L. Lynch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Against Odds by Lawrence L. Lynch. Chapter Twenty Five. It's a snare. My first act upon reaching the telegraph office was to send a message at Miss Jenrys's request and in her name to Hilda O'Neill. Word it as you think best, Miss Jenrys had said, and accordingly I had sent this message. Miss Hilda O'Neill. Yours received. Will do my best for you. Have courage. J.J. This, while indefinite, was at least not discouraging. To Mr. Trent I wired at some length as follows. Has money package been sent? Answer. If sent, order it held until further notice. Send at once original letter. It may prove a clue. Letter follows. Masters. This done, I wrote at once to Mr. Trent, setting forth my belief that the letter was only a scheme to extort money, repeating my message with explanatory detail, and outlining a plan of action which would await his approval by telegraph, and then be put into immediate execution. This I posted with a special delivery stamp, and finding my head growing large and exceedingly painful, I went to my own quarters, compelled for a time to give up to the combined pain and fatigue which seemed suddenly to overcome me. But in spite of the pain in my head, I could not withdraw my thoughts from this singular letter, and after tossing restlessly for an hour, I got up and having treated my aching skull to a gentle rubbing with my friend the druggist's soothing lotion, I sallied forth and wandered about the exposition grounds until the time for luncheon and my meeting with Dave came together. Dave was anxious to hear the outcome of my visit to Miss Jenrys, and we made haste with our luncheon and were soon back in our room when I told him the little I had to tell and put into his hand Miss O'Neill's letter bidding him read the page containing what she declared to be an exact copy of the anonymous letter. Dave read the singular document, as I had done before him, once and again, and then, placing it upon his knee, he sat looking at the floor and biting his under lip, a way he had when puzzled or in doubt. Finally, he looked up. What do you think of this? he asked. It's a snare, don't you think so? yes but do you swallow this story of the gang old man supposing young trent to be alive and in duress somewhere do you imagine that one man or even two could keep him day and night um no well i said to miss jenrys an absurd thing i said the letter might have been suggested by seeing those reward notices but those notices did not give mr trent's full name and street and number no sir that letter was written by someone who has seen the contents of gerald trent's pockets and who knows where he is dead or alive but you don't think he means business no and neither do you if trent is in the hands of the gang no one out of the lot will be permitted to open the doors to him besides do you think that a party of men who have the daring and the ability to keep a prisoner three weeks safely hidden will release him for a paltry ten thousand knowing his father to be a multi-millionaire um just so 
and how do they keep him well to me that letter is very suggestive it hints at a possible situation it's hard to imagine how a young man in possession of his strength and senses could be held a prisoner here in chicago but let us say he is ill suppose for instance he was attacked those diamonds he is said to have worn being the bait he is injured they search him and find him a valuable person to have and to hold if he is ill they can keep him without much trouble or the letter hints at insanity suppose he was lured somewhere and drugged kept drugged an easy way to bring about insanity eh carl exclaimed dave with one of his sudden decisive gestures carl old man i believe you struck the trail what's your next move my first move i corrected will depend upon mr trent i can do nothing until i hear from him and then urged dave i can see no better way to begin than to try and break up the gang before you find it he laughed before i look for it good injuns how by making that anonymous letter public putting it in print jimmy netty in spite of the diligence of the watchers they could not regain the lost trail of the little brunette nor indeed of the others and after discussing and discarding many traps and plans dave ventured a suggestion if the brunette has not given up her pursuit of miss jenrys he said why not try to reach her that way ask her to make an appointment miss jenrys will consent i could think of nothing better but i did not act upon the suggestion until evening when i went this time in company with lossing to call upon the ladies and give an account of my day's doings with the perfection of tact lossing joined miss ross in the rear room and left miss jenrys and myself to discuss our plans i told her the little i had done in the trent affair and of my plans contingent upon mr trent's approval he will approve i am sure of it she said with decision he has taken every precaution and has made himself familiar with your record through the boston chief of police he has every reason so he writes me to have faith in you and your judgment i think you know that i thanked her for the assurance that my plans would be favorably received and then told her of my wish to use her name in trying to draw out the brunette i see no other way i concluded and once written her over your initials she may respond of course the reply must come to you at the office in the government building but you will receive it i can give you my card can i not then you do not object how can i did i not promise you my help oh i am quite enlisted now although after such a faux pas as i made last night i cannot boast of my finesse i quite excited monsieur voisin by my exclamatory entrance and how i asked quietly but inwardly eager you remember how he questioned me about the missing person well he called this afternoon aunt anne and i had just returned from the liberal arts building where we had spent three long hours and though his call was brief he did not forget to ask again about that missing person he was almost inquisitive and you i asked inwardly anxious he learned nothing more from me rest assured his curiosity seems quite unlike him possibly i hazarded 
he has some inkling of my true inwardness and thinks i have made you my confidant do you think it possible possible perhaps but not the fact she replied with a little laugh my dear aunt has in some way given him the impression that you are a friend or protege of hers i am quite certain that he believes this for he had the audacity to ask me today how long my aunt's acquaintance with you had been and when i assured him that you were quite old friends he asked with rather a queer intonation if auntie knew what your occupation was and when i murmured something about journalism he smiled rather knowingly a clear case i said smiling he guesses at least at my business and perhaps fancies me deceiving your dear aunt we will let him continue in that error if possible i went home that evening pondering the question did monsieur voisin know me for what i was and if so how of one thing i was certain since our first meeting he had always affected a most friendly interest in me and that he was secretly studying me i felt quite assured another thing furnished me with some food for thought not long before we took our leave and while miss jenrys and lossing were deep in the discussion of the latest spanish novel miss ross said to me quite abruptly and apropos of nothing did june tell you that monsieur voisin was here today i nodded and she went on you know my feeling where he is concerned at least i think you do he is growing really aggressive and june is blind to it she is preoccupied but i see all where she is concerned and he will make her trouble he is infatuated and bitterly jealous and he is a man who knows no law but his own will do i not read him aright the next morning i sent a note written in the same dainty hand as the first and signed with the initials j j to the little brunette sending it as before to the cafe where she had lodged and twenty-four hours later the telegram from boston came in addition to my own letter i had sent in the same envelope a copy of miss o'neill's or as much of it as would help mr trent to understand all that had been done by the young ladies in his absence his telegram read thanks for all carry out plan have ordered return of money letter follows trent two days later came mr trent's letter and with it the original composition of mr e Rowe on the square as miss o'neill had said it was written in a small clear angular hand which had the look of a genuine autograph without attempt at disguise in this i quite agreed with her and i stowed the letter carefully away for future use mr trent in his letter assured me that he could not make e rose letter ring true and that he had finally convinced his daughter and miss o'neill that they had made a mistake go on in your own way he concluded and i hope before long to be with you my wife has recovered from her delirium very weak but quite sane except upon one point she believes our son to be ill in a hospital in chicago and the doctor has bidden us humor her in this hallucination as it may save her life he looks now for a gradual recovery and when she is a little stronger i shall come to you already she has planned for the journey and assured me that our boy needs me most it is sad inexpressibly so but it is better at least for her 
when i can join you in your work and your waiting i shall i am sure feel more helpful and i trust less impatient of delay End of chapter 25